back as well, or you can look on the screen. Psalm 1. Every year, I think since, well, maybe not since the inception of this church, probably for the last five years, we've tried to begin every calendar year with what we call prayer week. And how we've done that, oh, I think the past couple years, is we've asked every home group to set aside their first meeting in January to be a corporate prayer meeting. First meeting in January, just all about prayer. You're going to get a prayer guide that gives you ways you might pray for our church, for our ministry, for our nation, for the nations. And so look forward to that. As we call this prayer week, we also try to tie in a sermon or two related to prayer. Today, we're going to talk about really the connection between Scripture and prayer. My focus is on Scripture, and I hope you'll see the connection by the time we're done. This little booklet I'm holding is a small book I would recommend to you. It is entitled, Enjoy Your Prayer Life. Enjoy your prayer life. Don't you want to enjoy your prayer life? Well, this little tiny yellow book, and I think it's like six bucks on Amazon by Michael Reeves, will help you. I highly recommend enjoy your prayer life. Nick is going to read our passage for us after I pray. Father, help us, we ask you now, by your Spirit and for the glory of your Son, we pray. Amen. Let us hear the word of the Lord, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Thank you, Nick, so much. French philosopher and mathematician Blaise Pascal once said, quote, all men seek happiness, men and women for sure, all men seek happiness. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end of happiness, the cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, happiness. All men and all women seek happiness. You and I do, all day, every day, according to Pascal. So Pascal would not be surprised that in 2018, 1,200 Yale University students, almost one quarter of the undergraduate student body, signed up for one course course entitled Psychology and the Good Life, a course on happiness, a course about how to be happy. The most popular course ever in Yale University 
history. How to be happy because, as Pascal said, all seek happiness. However, as the professor of the course noted, our intuitions about what will make us happy, like winning the lottery, are totally wrong. Take that in. You're going to seek happiness in 2020. All of us are. You are going to seek your happiness, and I'm going to seek mine. But as this professor noted, our intuitions about what will make us happy, they're probably wrong. So I want to ask you, where are you going to find happiness in 2020? What will, what will happiness look like for you? And, and where will you pursue it? Will it be in a new job, in a better job, in any job? Will it be a new place to live, perfect kids, perfect parents, perfect health, finish college, finish high school, finish middle school? You fill in the blank. Friend, your initial intuition about what will make you happy in 2020, it may be totally wrong. What we need is our creator, friends, defining true happiness for us and leading us to it. And that's what you find in Psalm 1. Psalm 1 shows us that truly happy people, truly happy people are profoundly shaped by God's word for consistently fruitful lives. That's what I want you to take away this morning. That truly happy people, they are profoundly shaped, profoundly molded by, by God's Word, by Holy Scripture. As a result, they bear fruit. They bear God-glorifying fruit on a consistent basis. Let's break that down into two parts. First part is this. God's truly happy people, well, they're profoundly shaped by His Word. God's truly happy people are molded and shaped by Holy Scripture. You see, Psalm 1, along with Psalm 2, really are the gateway to the book of Psalms. They provide the lens through which to view the rest of the Psalter, as it's called. And the first word in the book of Psalms is critical for understanding the Psalms. Verse 1 begins, Blessed. Blessed is the man. That word blessed, if you were to study the Psalms, that word blessed appears throughout the Psalms. It is a central theme in the Psalms. So what does it mean? Well, the basic meaning is truly happy. You could render this verse, how, how truly happy is the man, how truly Happy is the woman. The problem with that is, for the average American, happy means an emotional feeling of happiness. Mainly when things are going our way. When things are going your way in life, then we feel happy. That's how we use the word. You're happy because the traffic was light for the commute. You're happy because the job is going well. You're happy because you got a promotion. You're happy because you're making more money. You're happy because the kids are behaving. You're happy because your adult child is doing well. You're happy because you got a good grade on that test. You're happy because you got into the school you wanted to. You're happy because you got into the program you were hoping to get into. None of those are bad things. It's fine to be happy about those. But 
that happiness is dependent on your circumstances. And circumstances do what? They inevitably change. That's why 1,200 undergraduate students at Yale University were taking that course because they can't find lasting happiness. And the Bible holds out to you and me a far deeper, far richer, far more important happiness or blessedness. You see it, I think, in the connection with Psalm 2. These are kind of connected. Psalm 2 describes God's kings in the line of King David, all pointing forward to the King of kings, Jesus Christ. Psalm 2 in verse 7 says, The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Those words are fulfilled in Jesus like you find in Acts 14 and Hebrews 1, quoting that verse. The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations, the nations, your heritage, the ends of the earth, your possession. King Jesus rules over it all. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And then the psalm concludes like this. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Notice, blessed, there's that word again. Blessed, happy, happy are all who take refuge in him. What's the point? Well, the ultimate blessed life is found in the ultimate king, Jesus. There's a, there's a human picture of this in the book of 1 Kings when the queen of Sheba visits King Solomon. The queen of Sheba had heard about Solomon. She comes to check out the rumors and she sees Solomon's vast wealth and she hears of Solomon's amazing wisdom and the queen of Sheba says, quote, happy, happy are your men, happy, happy are your servants, blessed are your servants who continually stand before you, Solomon, and hear your wisdom. Same word as in Psalm 1. How happy, how blessed are those whose king is Solomon. How much more happy how much more blessed are those whose king is Jesus? So this true happiness is a gift of God's grace in King Jesus. This truly happy state is found in Jesus Christ. But that happy state is lived out in real ways. That happy state is lived out in practical life, in real life. For instance, the blessed person responds to conviction of sin and confesses his sin to God, Psalm 32. The blessed person speaks and does what is good, Psalm 34. The blessed person has compassion for the poor, Psalm 41. The blessed person delights in gathering and worshiping with God's people, Psalm 84. The blessed person fears God, holds him in awe and reverence in his heart, Psalm 112 and Psalm 128. The happy state we're seeing gets lived out in real ways, including in Psalm 1. In Psalm 1, this happy state is characterized by what this person does not do and what they do. Go back to verse 1 with me. Verse 1 says, Blessed is the man, notice, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, 
nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Perhaps, perhaps implying a kind of downward spiral of sin from walking to standing to sitting. Regardless, the blessed life, the truly happy life is not, not habitually walking in the way of sin, not habitually standing or sitting in the pathway of rebellion. That doesn't mean your life is hermetically sealed off from those who need Jesus. It just means you're living differently by God's grace. And notice then, in light of what the person does not do, notice what they do do in verse 2. Verse 2 says, but, but instead, his delight, his chief desire and want is in the law of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord. What is that? What does it look like to desire the Lord's word like that? Well, he tells us next, and on his law, he meditates. He meditates day and night. He has this delight, and then delight is explained with this meditation. It's literally muttering to yourself, <laughs> mumbling to yourself. It's, it's concentrating on something so that you might understand it. It's having this word filling your mind and shaping your your life. You see, a, I think, a picture of this in another connection with Psalm 2, where Psalm 2 begins, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The word translated plot is the same word translated meditate. Two different contexts, so really two different meanings, but catch the connection. The nations plot the nations plot rebellion against God. The happy meditate on instruction from God. It's really what is filling your mind and, and shaping your life. The nations are plotting. The happier meditating. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the influencers today on social media. Have you heard of that term? If you have teenagers, you, you probably have. And the influencers on social media, they are people with a, a social media platform who will use certain brands of makeup or deodorant or what have you. And they post that on their blog or their Instagram. And you be, behold that and they are influencing you to buy that product. And they, have, of course, are compensated for that. So perhaps they post about drinking Sprite and they post about how much they love Sprite, and suddenly you have your mouth watering for Sprite. You would love to have a can of Sprite because they're one of your influencers. Recently I read there are also unfluencers. <laughs> this is true. An influencer, an influencer is a person on social media who makes you want to do the opposite of what they do. So you see them drinking Sprite, you go, I'm going to drink a Dr. Pepper. You want to do the very opposite of what they're doing. You're shunning that product. And that's sort of the picture in Psalm 1. There's this push and pull of influence and unfluence. The truly happy, their unfluencers are those who are giving themselves to sin. 
and giving themselves to rebellion. Teenagers, please, please hear this. To be truly happy in this life, you need to recognize rebellion for what it is and turn away from that. Again, not shunning that person, reaching out to that person, but shunning that way of life. That's your influence, you might say, because your primary influence is the Scriptures, God's instruction in His Word. So let's just pause and make a little connection with our own lives. Friends, ask yourself, what influence is most shaping you right now? What, what influence is most shaping your life? What, what influence is most holding sway over your direction because it's most filling your mind and heart? It could be that we're giving ourselves to, to lust. Maybe you are meditating on straying from your spouse or pornography online is what you're walking in, standing in, and sitting in. Maybe you're most shaped by cultural definitions of success. Your delight, your delight is the American dream more than the delight of Psalm 1. Getting ahead financially is your primary meditation. Or maybe what is most influencing you is that celebrity, that influencer on social media. You want to be like the Kardashians. That's how you define the happy life, the good life. And so that social media ideal is what you're walking in, standing in, sitting in, being most influenced by. Or maybe, you know, maybe it just could even be our own feelings, our own emotions. Emotions are a gift from God. We are emotional creatures by design. But, you know, it's possible for a, a sinful emotional response to control us habitually. Sinful anger, rage against our spouse, and it's destroying your marriage. Envy of others who have a nicer car, a different house. Bitterness against someone, holding you in its just icy grip. All of us can experience these things in various ways. And remember, the blessed life is birthed out of God's grace in His King. And yet, friends, see that this happy life has a different delight and a different meditation. A very different delight a very different shaping influence, a very different definition of the good life, such that you are profoundly shaped and changed. That's where the psalm really goes next. Having seen God's truly happy people profoundly shaped, notice the effect in verse, uh, secondly. Secondly, God's truly happy people, friends, they will have consistently fruitful lives. They are profoundly shaped by God's Word. 
And the result is, the effect is, they have consistently fruitful lives. See, now the blessed person, the truly happy person, is described with the metaphor of a tree in verse 3. Notice verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that, notice, yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. This tree is consistently fruitful. Its leaves are never withering. I think the implication is the tree is fruitful despite adverse circumstances. Even when times are tough, the leaves on the tree are not withering. Why is that? Well, because of where the verse begins. It's planted by streams of water. And the picture there is of a tree purposely planted by an irrigation canal. That's the picture. The streams of water in verse 3 are man-made channels dug to bring in water for the tree. We get this verse in Southern California, don't we? We understand the need for irrigation. We get the need to be dug, <laughs> dug, uh, digging out streams of water and planting near those streams. If you don't irrigate a plant in San Diego, what's going to happen by June? It's not looking pretty. It's brown. It's probably dying. Unless it's one of these amazing plants called succulents. We have a yard full of succulents that we don't water because somehow they store up water or something throughout all those dry months. And verse 3 is saying, you're not a succulent. No, you're a tree that needs one of those drip irrigation systems that are drip, 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 drip. Consistently nourishing water to your roots so that your leaf doesn't wither, come what may. You catch the picture? In case we're missing it, God adds in verse 3, in all that he does, he prospers. In all that he does, he prospers. Or maybe better to say, in all that he does, he succeeds. Because we can read prosper as merely material wealth. But this is about prosperity of your soul. This is about what we saw last week in Isaiah 55, where God says his word will not return to him empty, but it shall succeed. There's the same word. It shall succeed in the thing for which he sent it. It's it's accomplishing that for which God intends. That's how your soul prospers. Your soul succeeds. The intended result occurs. Your your fruit is born consistently. Your leaf does not wither. You you persevere with faith toward God. You, You trust and obey, as the children's song puts it as the only way to be happy in Jesus. You you trust and obey. You see, we talk about have a prosperous new year, don't we? It's 2020, first Sunday of a new year. So have a prosperous new year, but define it like Psalm 1 does, that you bear fruit, that your leaf does not wither, I mean, realize none of us knows what 2020 will bring. God knows. But from our vantage point, we haven't a clue. 
You don't know in 2020 what's going to happen with your health, your children, your finances, in the economy, etc., etc. You fill in the blank from your vantage point, friends. It's all uncertain. And so the question is, how will you not wither in your leaf? How will you prosper in your soul? How will you succeed? How will you bear fruit of perseverance with faith toward God? How will you trust and obey as the only way to be happy in Jesus? This psalm is showing us you're irrigated. You're planted by streams of water. I think John Bunyan, in his classic allegory, Pilgrim's Progress, had a a nice picture of what we're talking about. The main character in Pilgrim's Progress is named Christian, and he is being taught some lessons about the Christian life from a guy named Interpreter. Interpreter takes Christian to a room where he sees a fire burning against a wall. Imagine kind of a fireplace sort of thing. And Christian sees this fire burning against a wall, and he sees a man before the fire consistently pouring water on the fire, bucket and bucket after bucket of water, trying constantly to put out this flame. But the fire continues to burn higher and hotter all the time, and Christian can't understand this. So he asks the interpreter, what does this mean? And the interpreter explains, the one throwing water on the fire is the devil, who would like nothing better than to see the heart, the the fire for Jesus, the heart grow cold and, and still. But then the interpreter brings Christian behind the wall, and he sees what's happening on the other side of the fireplace. And he sees another man pouring oil constantly on the flame. And the interpreter says, the man fueling the flame is Christ. And the oil is his grace. The oil is his grace, which maintains the work of God in the heart, even through dark times. Dark times of suffering and persecution and difficulty and temptation. I think that's a pretty good picture of Psalm 1. Because dark times will come in 2020. And there's an enemy of your soul who wants the flame to be dimmed. But Christ, friends, is pouring the oil of the Spirit on that flame. And Psalm 1 is saying the Spirit uses the means of the Word in particular to pour that oil on the flame. You might say the Word is the the container, the jug with which He is pouring oil on the flame to keep you burning brightly for Jesus. So, like Christian, look behind the wall. You want to know how to prosper in 2020? Look behind the wall. See the oil poured out, the oil of the Spirit poured out through the Word and His people to keep you going. To be someone like Jeff and Jane Richards. As Jeff was diagnosed with an aggressive form of brain cancer a little over a year ago. And I met with Jeff recently. And Jeff took me behind the wall. I was just drawing Jeff out, how he was doing. 
And Jeff began to share all the things he's encouraged that he's reading. The, the devotional material he and Jane are going through regularly. The, the podcasts of strong preaching that he's imbibing all the time to feed his soul. And I'm sure there are hard days. I'm sure there are real hard days, but it's no coincidence that they are bearing fruit and their leaves aren't withering despite a hard situation. Same with Matthew and Alana Burdett, also in the graduate school of trials. They are my teachers. As I watch them, and their leaves don't wither. Look behind the wall, what will you see? You'll see the Spirit fueling the flame by means of His grace, including His Word, so that their soul succeeds and prospers. Oh, friends, this is what we need in 2020. And to drive that home, in case we weren't feeling that already, to drive that home, the psalm ends in a sobering way. Verse 4 says, verse 4, the wicked, the wicked are not so, they're not fruitful like this tree, but they're like chaff that the wind blows away. That's the stuff blown away at the harvest, not the grain, but the kernel around the grain that gets blown away. It's a picture of uselessness. That's the idea. Uselessness. Verse 5 then continues, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation, the assembly of the righteous. Notice, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, for the happy, for the truly happy in Christ. God knows your way. He's caring about you. He's watching over you. You can have that assurance right now. He's caring for you. He knows your way, but for the way of the wicked, we're told, it will perish. Literally, it, it leads to nothing. It's traveling a road to nowhere. It's a dead-end street. Psalm 1 is like that famous stanza by Robert Frost, Two roads diverged in a wood. Look, friends, two roads are diverging in this psalm. And as Frost put it, take the road less traveled by. It'll make all the difference. That road is defined by King Jesus and his finished work. The life he lived for you and me. The death he died to take away the sins of all who believe. His triumphant resurrection showing that his payment, friends, was more than enough. And he reigns right now watching over your way if you will but come to him believing. And if you have yet to do so, please, friend, find refuge in this king like Psalm 2 talks about. Believing on Christ, trusting in his life, death, and resurrection to bring you to God, to put you on that road less traveled by, and it will make all the difference. You see, all of us are seeking happiness, like Pascal said. All of us are seeking happiness. You're going to seek happiness in 2020. The question is, where will you pursue it? According to that Yale professor, and I think she's right, our intuitions about what will make us happy 
are usually totally wrong. Psalm 1 tells us what the truly happy life looks like. It looks like life in Christ, profoundly shaped by His Word, and so is a consistently fruitful life. Now, you might be asking, Tab, what in the world does all of this have to do with prayer week? (laughs) Good question. Here's my answer. Prayer is fueled by meditation on the Word. Prayer is fueled by what you see the blessed person doing in Psalm 1. Prayer is sustained and fueled by the blessed person delighting in and so pondering and meditating on Holy Scripture, filling their minds with Scripture, and then turning that into prayer. Now, you have an insert in your bulletin that gives you a a practical way to do that, to make the connection between meditation on God's Word and prayer. Just notice that with me, please. It says, biblical meditation and prayer. First paragraph, read a portion of God's Word and identify one or two verses or some smaller section that catches your attention. Some portion, maybe even one verse, that the Holy Spirit quickens to you. And then meditate on that, like we've seen in this psalm. Ponder it and turn your pondering into prayer. I think these four categories are helpful as handles for what that looks like. You can adore, adoration. You behold, what aspects of God's character, God's glory, are you observing that you can adore God in through prayer and worship Him? And then confession. Where do you find yourself convicted by these verses? Where are you perhaps falling short? What wrong behavior, harmful emotion, false attitudes are being exposed? You then turn that to prayer and you confess that to God in Christ. And then you can thank Him for what you see of Jesus in that passage. You look and see what aspects of the person and finished work of Christ are are alluded to or anticipated or unpacked in those verses and you give God thanks for not sparing his own son and then supplication what might you ask for in light of those verses and all you're doing is pondering meditating 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 praying 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 and your leaf will not wither and you'll bear fruit because you'll be planted by streams of water taking refuge in your King. To help us do that this morning, we're going to close by taking the Lord's Supper.